Well, today I want to take you to one of the most interesting and sometimes confusing books of the Bible. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to read the chapter that I'm going to preach from today in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles. This will not be on the screen. I'd like you to bring your Bibles every Sunday that you come to church. And as I reminded you last week, it's good to have a pen or a highlighter along so that you can make notes in the margins of the Bible. You'll find Ecclesiastes about halfway through the Bible, past the book of Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. So let me hear the pages turning or your devices working, and uh, let me read this passage for you. It's not all that long. And as I read, I'd like for you to look for a couple things. Number one, I'd like for you to look for the most recurring word in this passage. That should be very easy. And secondly, I want you to look at what this passage says about God, what it says about God. Follow along as I read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil or business? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring judgment to both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity. A time for every deed. Did you get the most recurring word? Tell me. Time. <laughs> Time. It's used uh, 
14 or 15 times just in the first 11 verses. And then this passage wraps up with the word time. So it's about time, but there are sprinkles of eternity, sprinkles of, well, what is eternity? How can you describe it? It's just beyond our comprehension. But there are things that it says about God. God is in charge of everything, basically. He makes beautiful everything in its time. He said eternity in our hearts. He knows the end from the beginning. The things that we have that are the simple things of life are the gift of God. God will bring everything to a conclusion. He will settle injustices. He will judge at the end. These are the musings of a man named Solomon who had lost his way. He had everything. I've been reading lately about uh, Jeff Bezos, the uh, uh, CEO of Amazon, reading about his wealth. Uh, His net worth is determined to be somewhere in the vicinity of $140 billion. Billion. He could build the wall. (laughs) And you know what? I've also done research in the wealth of Solomon and discovered that people who deal with those kinds of things and know the prices of gold have determined that Solomon's wealth was almost exactly the same as Jeff Bezos' wealth. Somewhere in the vicinity of 125 to 140 billion dollars in today's money. Billion. Can you imagine? Billion. I can't even comprehend million. Billion. It's almost like infinity, except it doesn't even compare. It doesn't come close to eternal. In these opening verses, we find Solomon musing this man who had everything but felt so hollow because he uses words like meaningless and chasing after the wind. In these first 10 or 11 verses, he gives us 14 contrasts, 14 contrasting pairs ranging from external circumstances to internal emotions. They're filled with variety and contrast and paradox. Whatever experience we have in life, we can almost be certain that we will face the opposite somewhere along the line. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not the yin and the yang. It is not karma. This is something very different than that. Believers see this differently. I want you, first of all, as you look at this, a time for this and a time for that and a time for this and a time for that, to try to look at it in the context of the big picture. I think there's a little bit of danger of missing what Solomon is saying if we try to pick apart every time for this and time for that. You can do that. You can, you can decipher that. You can... You can test it. You can do what you do with frogs in high school. You know, you cut them apart and dissect them. 
But I think sometimes it's better for us to look at the whole instead of just the parts. How many of you have a TV? How many of you have a, one of these new, ever since, ever since we bought our first, these new flat screen TVs, you know, we bought the first one we have for, I think, $600, and that was just the, what, the 29 or 30 or 35 inch? Now I can get that one for just a few bucks, and uh, I could buy one of these big monsters, you know, for 600. But have you ever gotten close? The picture is made up of what they call pixels. It, it's very difficult for you to see them because there are thousands of them on that screen. When we bought our first one, and it's a Vizio, and it's lasted us a long time, it's been a good TV, we discovered that in the bottom left-hand corner, maybe about this far away from the corner, there was a missing pixel. And I discovered that when it was dark in that corner, whatever it was that was showing on the screen, I could see that pixel. Uh, you know what happened. You just get fixated on the stupid pixel. <laughs> and uh, so I called, I called Walmart, and they talked with the manufacturer, and they said, well, you, you can't return it. We won't give you a new one unless there's two pixels that are missing. <laughs> Good grief. Now, take that and, and put, it, put it into this passage and realize that I'm not sure that God is asking or even Solomon is asking us to try to decipher every little pixel. He wants us to step back and get the big picture in mind. And the big picture of this passage is that life is full of contrast. Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of ins and outs. Get the overall picture. It's kind of like, to use another analogy, an oil painting. If you've, ever, if you've ever gotten close to an oil painting, or this would be a good example. Um, this, this, not painting here, but all these little boxes that are put together like a mosaic and I mean you get up close and it's amazing whoever did it what you know putting all that stuff together but you don't you don't get the the real view of it until you step back and I think that's what Solomon is driving at here in the ebb and flow of man's life on earth from cradle to grave there are all kinds of things that are opposite and confusing. Now, some people would say, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. But that's not the believer's conclusion. Mixed in to this passage are a couple of verses that help us really understand the, the whole picture. They're, they're kind of like the picture on the front cover. Have you ever put together a 500 or 1,000 piece puzzle? I don't have the patience to do 1,000, just don't. Um, but look, look at the picture and look at all the pieces. Have you ever tried to put one of those together without the picture? Almost impossible. And today as we look at this passage, I want to 
kind of help you see the big picture so that you don't get confused by all the little pieces. First of all, I want you to take a look at this passage from God's perspective. From God's perspective. Number one, God mixes the agenda of life. He mixes the agenda of life. Look at verse 11. Right at the beginning, he has made everything beautiful in its, there's that word again, time. These things come into our life at God's appointed time. They are not random. Look back at verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. We want the positive of these couplets. We want to plant, but we don't want to uproot. We want to heal, but we don't want the word kill. We want to build, but we don't want tear down. We want to laugh, but we don't want to have to weep. We want to dance, but we don't want to have to mourn. But the fact of the matter is that both of those, all of those couplets, are in our life from time to time. We would rather have just the positive, but not the negative. And we are reminded that God's timing is perfect. Every activity under heaven. We want life to be like, how many of you have ever been to Disneyland? Um, We want life to be like Pirates of the Caribbean. I wanted, I didn't think of it in time to have Julie get me a picture of Johnny Depp and put it up on the screen. I just love that character in that, uh, in that movie, those movies. Um, but if, if you've ever been to, to Disneyland or Disney World, they have a ride that's called Pirates of the Caribbean. It's in a big warehouse kind of building. And you get in and you get in a a boat or a raft. I I forget how many people there were in it, but the first time we went through it, um, it's just amazing. You're, You're on this boat that is weaving and kind of wandering down this river, and all of a sudden you hear noises, and there's a fire off to the right. And I mean, it looks like a real fire. It looks like the whole place is going to burn down. And there's noise and yelling, and you see figures, and they look like pirates, and you realize that your boat is under attack. And as you go a little bit further, I was sitting right in the back of the boat, and I I looked over, and there was a plop. And there was a cannonball that landed three feet away from the back of my boat. It just scared the willies out of me. And you go a little bit further, and there's another cannonball. Ka-ploop! So we decided to go through it a second time. (laughs) Whole different picture. Same, same thing happened. Same thing happened. Got in the boat, started going down down the path, and I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking everywhere. And I look over the edge of the boat and behind the boat, and I see that there's a rail. We're on a rail! They're taking us where they want to take us. And then I looked over at the fire. And I thought to myself, that's not fire. 
That's just some kind of little picture or ribbons or something that's kind of wiggling on. They got lights and all kinds of fancy stuff to make it look like a fire. And then the thing that was really the cooker for me. We're going along and all of a sudden I hear this plop. But I'm looking over my shoulder. And I discover that that cannonball that came from the cannons that were being fired on the side didn't come from the cannons that were being fired on the side. They just made a poof and a noise. And mechanically, underwater, there was a little thing that kicked the ball up and then splashed it down. And I thought to myself, this is rigged. <laughs> we would like life to be like that. But life is very different. In life, we are not sheltered from the difficulties. We don't mind a bit of excitement, but God forbid that the cannonball should ever land in our boat. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes the cannonball does. Do you hear me? You ever had a cannonball land in your boat? You ever been fired? You ever run out of money? You ever had a close relative or friend die? Like I said, we don't mind a bit of excitement, but God forbid that the cannonball should ever hit our boat. But the fact of the matter is, God mixes the agenda of our lives. We want to be overcomers without having to overcome anything. Or as Dave Dravecki, the former San Francisco giant pitcher, whose arm was amputated, his throwing arm due to cancer, in his book, When You Can't Come Back, he wrote, in America, you ready guys? Next picture. In America, Christians pray for the burden of suffering to be lifted from their backs. In the rest of the world, Christians pray for stronger backs so they can bear their suffering. God mixes the agenda of our lives very frequently. Mary Ellen and I pray for Christian brothers and sisters who live in places around this globe where it's very difficult to live. And I find myself having a hard time praying over that because sometimes I always want to say, Lord, give them strength, give them, give them courage, get them out of that mess, but I realize that some of them aren't going to get out of that mess. Well, they'll get out of that mess, but it might be by giving their lives. God mixes the agenda of our lives. Secondly, God has put eternity in our hearts. God has put eternity in our hearts. We're made in God's image. We have the potential for a relationship with Him. We are put on this earth to represent Him. We're made in His image. There is an impulse in us that reaches beyond the temporal to the eternal. 
The ceaseless accumulation of temporal things and experiences leaves us empty. You think money will solve all your problems? Look at Solomon. He's the guy that wrote this, and he was worth an astronomical amount of money. Augustine wrote in the opening lines of his confessions, God has made us for himself, and we are restless until we find our rest in him. There is a, there is a, homing, a homing instinct in us that nothing but God in heaven can satisfy I want to read you an excerpt from one of C.S. Lewis's work where he calls this homing instinct the stab of desire, the fact that though we, though we strive to settle all of our difficulties and all of our wants through the accumulation of wealth and things, that there's, there's something inside of us that longs for something that will fulfill those desires. And internally, we, we kind of know that it's something beyond our wealth. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis called it a stab of desire and explained it this way. When all of our natural desires have been fulfilled, we remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. It is the secret, look at that word, the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we still, we shall still desire in our, on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. There's something inside of us that craves for the beyond. Thirdly, I learned from this passage, is that God's sovereignty, or another way of saying it would be God's, God's ways over time, is infathomable. Look at verse 11, the third part of it. It speaks of, we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We're not able to decipher his whole plan. We would love to lift ourselves over all of the events of life, over the limits of time and space, and see the work of God as a whole. But the fact of the matter is, this all-embracing view is beyond our capacity. Follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been given, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And this familiar passage from Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Read it together with me, will you? you? You know it. Some of you have memorized it. Let's read it together. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's sovereignty over time is unfathomable. And lastly, fourthly, God will have the final say in all things. Look at verses 15 through 17. Notice that he talks about calling the past into account and that there will be a day of reckoning. The unsolved mysteries, the the injustices that maybe you've experienced that have never really been settled, the questions that you have that have never been answered, the hurts that you've endured that you've just had a hard time getting over with, the relationships that have been broken that you would want to restore and have done everything you can to restore, but the other person just doesn't seem to be willing to forgive or to reconcile. Those will all be settled in that day. For the God who had the first word will have the last word. Now, how how do you and I respond to that? I think the answer is found in in verses 12 through 17. Notice what it says in verses 12 and 13. He tells us to be content. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil or business. This is the gift of God. Be happy and do good. This is not saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's not just saying, live any way you want to live. It's actually saying, seize the the fleeting moments of life and live for God in all of them. Redeem the time. I love the way... uh, Solomon puts this just a couple chapters later, and by the way, this is one of the keys that unlocks the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. Just follow along as I read. Ecclesiastes 5. This is what I've observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life, God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Look at those words. Find satisfaction in the days that God has given you. He gives us wealth and possessions to enjoy them, to be happy, and to have gladness of heart. I will never be worth $140 billion. I'm guessing you won't either. I'll never be worth 140 million. 
I'm guessing you won't. How about 1.4 million? Maybe. Not me. Maybe you. But I'm happy as a clam. I don't mind driving used cars. I don't mind having a two-bedroom house. Like I said last week, um, even, even with the not the greatest income in the world that I've had over the years, I still have a lot of stuff that I don't know what to do with. Be content. He uses the word lot twice in these verses from chapter 5. It's a word that's used a lot in the Bible. Um, It's used of casting lots. There was a guy named Lot. It's used of determining a lot. But it's used here in the sense of your lot in life. That's what he's saying. Be content with your lot and life. And whatever the season, live for God and enjoy all the good things he's given to you. Be content and be thankful. Be thankful for the simple things in life. Tough times have a way of kind of giving us a more accurate perspective if we will let them. Things take on meaning only as we see them as gifts from God. If you see your money, if you see your success as a gift of your own, I've got it all together. Look out. Look out. If we try to drown our sorrows with things during hard times, we will only prolong our misery. But if we look at the Lord during times of adversity, we will gain a new appreciation for the simple things of life. We will find satisfaction. Be content, be thankful, and thirdly, revere God. Revere God. Later on in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, stand in awe of God. In this particular verse, verse 14, he says, God does it so that man will revere him. If we set the agenda of our lives, if we were to have the opportunity to set the agenda, the time and the seasons of our lives, we probably would desire all sunshine and no shadows. I don't know about you, but sometimes Minnesota gets me down. I mean, I don't mind one day in a row of of clouds, but 13, a whole month, the month from the, the, the sky between November and February, oh my word, 
Forget about solar heat. I'd like sunshine all the time. Or would I? The fact of the matter is that you can get burned in the sunshine. The fact of the matter is you can get burned in success. I know of some very, very well-known famous preachers who in the last five years have bit the dust. Were they failing in ministry? No. They were at the top of their game. But success bit them. And as I hear their stories, I am more and more concerned about the inner life. The inner life. If left to us, in terms of setting the times of our life and the agenda of our life, many of us would choose an 85-year party. Well, not all of us. Some of us are introspective. Some of us would rather be able to curl up with a good book and a cup of coffee or hot chocolate in a nice quiet place. You and I sort of want to write our own script. We'd rather be the playwright than the player. But God is not confined to your script or to your agenda. Back again to verse 1, the times and the seasons are determined by him. Time meaning a point of time, season meaning the duration of that time. Whatever it is you are in, whether it's long or short, good or bad, those times and seasons have been determined by the Lord. That's what God's sovereignty is all about. Your individual points of time and the duration of those times are in God's hands. When you try to strap God to your agenda, you ignore his sovereignty and you create inevitable frustration. It's better for, better for us to just step back, to stand in awe of God, to revere him, and to remind ourselves that God is good. God knows what he's doing. God is in and behind every piece of the puzzle. And in the end, it will be a beautiful thing. He spoke the first word, and he will certainly deliver the last. Peter Marshall put it this way. It is a fact, and Peter Marshall was one of the chaplains of the Senate a number of years ago in the United States. He said, it is a fact of Christian experience that life is a series of troughs and peaks. In his efforts to get permanent possession of the soul, God relies on the troughs more than the peaks. Tony Campolo, 
in one of the books that he wrote a number of years ago called uh, Hot Potatoes, tells the story of a, a work associate of his who had a, a little girl that had just a whole head of curly hair. She was a Shirley Temple look-alike. And he says that this guy said that one night there was a huge storm outside. There was just rumbling and big crashes of thunder and huge lightning uh, outside. And all of a sudden he realized that his little daughter was up in her room all by herself. And so he ran up the stairs. He just was scared to death that she would be frightened. And as he, as he got into the room, true story, he saw his daughter sitting on, um, what do you call the bump-out windows? Like the, uh, you know, the roof sky like this and the gable. Yeah, whatever, gable. She was, and there was a little bench there, you know, so she could. She was standing up on that dormer, on, on, the, on the little seat kind of thing, with her hands and her face pasted against the window. He was terrified. He wanted to run over there and rescue her, and he pulled her away from the window. You know, lightning just flashing and thunder banging, and she wasn't... And, and as he pulled her away from the window, she said to him, Daddy... I think God is taking my picture. <laughs> Sunshine or shadow? God's taking your picture. He's, he's got you in his sights. He adores you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your father. He is Abba. And there's no one like him. Or Jesus. Stir us with the reality that you were the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three of you being three persons have had relationship with each other for eternity, before time was even invented by you. And that you together as the triune God are one God. And that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Thank you for the way you orchestrate our lives. Thank you for the way you let us make choices. But at the same time, in an unfathomable way, you are able to control the outcome so that in the end, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Help us to trust you and adore you more.